Hello, today uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the imprecision of using drones for precision pesticide applications. Um, what I'm going to do is talk a little bit about using drones for pesticide applications and a little bit of the research that we've done. Uh, as you can see, I've got a couple co-authors down there, uh, Brad, Dr. Brad Fritz, uh, a USDA ARS scientist, and one of my graduate students, Trenton Houston. These two uh, both uh, have been integral in terms of helping uh, develop the material for this uh, section. Uh, without them, uh, th this really wouldn't have been possible. Using uh, drones for pesticide applications is uh, not necessarily a new concept, but it's, it's a concept that's really uh, slowly starting to take off in the U.S. Here you can see a, a couple pictures of drones that we have uh, in our lab. These are both set up to make pesticide applications. As you can see, uh, they're, they're similar, uh, but yet uh, uh, there are some differences between uh, uh, both of those. For example, the one in the top left-hand corner has six propellers. The one in the bottom right-hand corner has got four. Uh, the, the two drones have a different tank carrying uh, tank sizes and, and different lift capacities and things like that. So as you as you as we go through this, you'll see that that there's there's really a key thing there that every one of these drones seems to be a little bit different in terms of their function, in terms of what they do and, and how they work. So when we think about uh, the benefits of uh, drones for pesticide application, the, the true benefit is that uh, we can reach uh, uh, areas that may not be accessible by traditional application methods. Airplanes and areas where airplanes and helicopters might have a hard time getting in, but yet for one reason or another, we can't get a ground application rig there. You know, areas along riparian areas, sometimes fruit and vegetable production, high value crops that may not be growing on uh, perfectly uh, flat line areas, things like that, or maybe even making applications in, in closed airspaces, uh, so uh, inside uh, large buildings or things like that. What really makes this a benefit is it's fully autonomous, so uh, we have the technology today that a drone could land on a refueling tank, uh, and really the only thing the operator would be uh, doing in terms of the actual op operation would be changing the batteries out. Uh, the rest of it would be autonomous flight uh, uh, off of pre-scripted uh, uh, flight plans. I put the, the next bullet point on here, uh, that they can't be compared to aerial or ground applications, and we'll go into some detail about that, but uh, they really are truly different than uh, uh, our traditional aerial or ground applications in a, a number of different ways. One of the, one of the things that the, you must recognize is in the U.S. that we have to have a drone operator license uh, through the FAA, uh, but it also requires a special permit. So uh, there's a number of exemptions and things like that that you have to file with the, the FAA in order to actually release pesticides from a drone application. And that process is uh, continually evolving and uh, quite cumbersome. Now, however, even though there's not a, a lot of uh, folks in the U.S. that are flying drones for pesticide applications, uh, globally, uh, uh, it's, there, there's a lot of, uh, of work that's already been done and a lot of uh, applicators that are out there making applications. Uh, it's estimated that uh, there's approximately 55,000 drones in China that are making applications. And that number uh, uh, may be as much as uh, 200,000 or more today. Uh, the 55,000 is a reliable number that we've, we've got, but uh, we suspect there may be quite a few more than that. And globally, uh, there may be as many, as many as 10 to 15,000 other drones making applications, where in the U.S. Uh, we're, we're certainly uh, less than 50 today. So uh, when we think about uh, uh, manned versus unmanned uh, uh, applications, there's really three areas uh, that uh, I think uh, deserve a little bit of, a, of attention when we talk about them being different. Uh, not speed, capacity, and scale. So if we think about the, the speed of the application, uh, a typical air tractor 502 uh, today is gonna have a working speed of 120 to 160 mile an hour. Uh, 
and that may be a, a bit conservative, but maybe even a little bit faster than that. So af, af, absolutely high speed environment. Uh, we've got a high shear environment on that liquid coming out of that nozzle, and it's a, a quite different environment. When we think about the, a drone, uh, typical working speeds, uh, I have nine to 18 miles an hour here. The 18 is probably pushing uh, what the, that drone can do, and the nine uh, may be uh, a little bit high even. Uh, uh, some of the research that we're seeing may suggest that even uh, in that six to eight mile an hour might be a better working speed. So uh, we're talking about speeds that are much just more similar to ground applications than actual aerial applications. Uh, when we talk about capacity, uh, particularly for us here in Western Nebraska, as you guys all know, uh, large fields, uh, this is not the type of application that we're looking to, to replace a, an airplane with. Uh, an air tractor 502 has got a 500 gallon capacity. Uh, our air tractors range anywhere from uh, 400, or three or 400 gallons on up to as much as uh, 800 gallons. Uh, the, the high end capacity of an unmanned aircraft uh, that, that we'd be using to make a drone application today would be five gallons. Uh, and most of them are, are, are smaller than that even. And then the last one, scale, uh, and this is what uh, uh, really limits us in terms of uh, uh, you know, scaling this thing up into something that could be used for broad, uh, row, row crop. Uh, uh, the limitation really becomes uh, the, the size of the aircraft. So if we go back to that the Air Tractor 502, well, we're looking at a 4,500-pound aircraft, 52-foot wingspan, and uh, a working range of uh, 620 miles uh, round trip. So. We, we look at the, that compared to that drone, uh, we're gonna be about 40 pounds without the batteries on there. Uh, FAA is gonna restrict us to a 55 pound uh, uh, gross weight takeoff. And uh, we could have a wingspan, uh, uh, an eight rotor wingspan that maybe a, a, a few foot across uh, and a range of uh, anywhere from eight to 15 minutes uh, uh, loaded. So we're really not uh, going to go much uh, farther than the uh, line of sight, even if uh, we were allowed to. However, uh, FAA restrictions uh, restrict us to flying it in line of sight. So this thing's not going to go uh, 600 miles. Uh, it's going to only operate in the area where we're, we're making that application. Now, uh, the big issue when we start talking about the uh, drones or unmanned aircraft uh, uh, is uh, there's a big data gap uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, both the uh, information available for applicators as well as information available for the FAA and particularly the EPA to make uh, uh, policy and regulatory decisions. Uh, uh, the gaps, uh, and you'll see uh, in some of our data, that these, are, these are real. Uh, first one uh, is around release height. Uh, so if we think about a ground application, uh, where the ideal boom height is gonna be anywhere from uh, 15 to, to 30 inches for an air tractor 502 or another uh, airplane, we're looking at an ideal boom height of uh, 10 to 12 feet. Uh, the drones are probably gonna be somewhere in between those two. Uh, uh, but exactly where that falls, we don't know. Uh, flight speed effects, uh, we talked a little bit about that range of flight speed, but uh, uh, we don't know exactly what flight speed effects uh, are gonna have on the, the distribution, uh, the, the deposition of that pesticide application and uh, the efficacy of uh, that application. So uh, there's a, a big gap there. Uh, the next one on my list was nozzle and boom placement impacts. And as we think about it, the, uh, uh, the droplet size coming out of a drone is gonna be very similar to uh, a ground rig if, if we're using the same nozzles. 
because we don't have that shear. But if we use uh, the same application uh, parameters and we have that uh, uh, boom height higher than what we have for ground application, uh, we have the airflow effects coming off of uh, that uh, uh, aircraft, uh, as you see in our next bullet point, the motor, uh, the multi-rotor uh, uh, wash effects, the, the, the boom placement, nozzle spacing, and nozzle placement on the booms uh, become uh, very, very different in terms of how we're going to try to set that up. Also for unmanned or drone air, aircraft uh, applications, we're generally looking at very low volumes compared to what we would uh, a typical ground application. A typical ground application, we might be looking anywhere from uh, five uh, to 20 or 25 gallons per acre for row crops. Uh, for an unmanned uh, drone application, what we're gonna be looking at is somewhere from uh, a quart up to maybe a gallon per acre at the, at the most. So uh, very, very different in terms of uh, uh, volumes there. And that's going to affect that uh, droplet size and uh, distribution pattern. Uh, effective swath widths versus uh, uniformity and rate, and we'll get into this, one, but uh, uh, today with the knowledge we have, the, the equipment that we have, uh, this is a very imprecise science compared to what a, a ground or aerial application might be. I say all of the above uh, for different uh, uh, UAS or unmanned uh, uh, drones. Uh, because every single drone is going to be set up differently, different nozzles, different booms, uh, uh, different number of rotors, uh, different uh, application speeds, boom heights. And so uh, there's a lot of different combinations that we really don't understand what those interactions are between those different combinations. Now, uh, I'm going to spend the, pretty much the rest of the time that we have uh, uh, talking about uh, the, the swath width and, and how we set this up for uniformity of coverage and uh, more or less uh, how how difficult that is to get a uniform pattern. So uh, I won't go into lots of detail, but uh, uh, just to give you a feel for what it looks like, uh, this top part of this uh, figure up here is what the, we get in terms of distribution across that boom for a single pass. The black box that you see is uh, the what we would consider the optimum uh, uh, distance to optimize that uh, swath width. We're looking in this case at a 5.5 meter, uh, roughly uh, 16 to 17 foot swath. Uh, and if we look at that, that CV value, and I talked about them being between uh, 25 and 75%, here we're right at 55% with a mean coverage of uh, 10%. Uh, you can see uh, also inside this, uh, the distribution of the droplet sizes across the, that spray swath. And uh, the green representing the largest droplets that we see in this particular application are the extra coarse, uh, the blue being the very coarse, uh, the yellow being the coarse. And so you can see that those uh, uh, extra coarse droplets are depositing right underneath the equipment, maybe with just a little bit of sh shift to the left side of that uh, uh, spray swath. Uh, the larger droplets, uh, or the smaller droplets getting uh, pushed out away from the, the center of the, the unmanned aircraft. And then the, the smallest droplets are those coarse droplets being on the, the very outside edges of that. Now, the, the next uh, uh, figure down shows uh, what nine overlapping uh, patterns would be with that 5.5 meter swath width. And uh, the red bar now represents uh, what the, that optimum uh, coverage uh, should look like. Uh, this is for 10% coverage. And, and uh, where you see gaps uh, uh, below that red bar, that's a, a a lower dose than uh, what we were targeting, uh, where you see the spikes, uh, those, those green spikes uh, sticking up above the red bar, 
Uh, this is where we're getting more output than what we, we desire. And what this starts to lead to is potential for where we get higher doses of crop uh, injury or damaging uh, uh, desirable uh, vegetation or where we see gaps down below. Uh, this uh, is an in potentially an ineffective dose, uh, which could lead to selection pressure for resistance. So as you can see, uh, we start to set this up, uh, this scenario up where we, we really aren't getting a, a nice clean application. Now, real briefly with the last minute or two, I uh, just want to show you what that looks like uh, in terms of modeling this out. Uh, this is what the EPA would look at for risk assessments. And I don't, won't go into details uh, here, but what you see are uh, a number of different uh, uh, drone applications. And uh, those blue lines that you see swirling across each of those four figures are the, the airflow uh, uh, coming off of, uh, in this case, a multi-rotor uh, uh, drone. And you can see as, a, as we change uh, the application speed, uh, we change uh, uh, different practices in that application. And this, in, in this example, uh, two meter, three meter, uh, five meter, uh, and a, a boundless height. Uh, you can see how much that airflow dynamics changes. As we're spraying or releasing spray into that, uh, you can imagine how difficult that then becomes to get those uh, uh, droplets to the ground uh, in, a, in a uniform way. So uh, just skip, skip forward here. This is us modeling done uh, by Milt Teske and his group. Uh, this is another multi-rotor uh, uh, airflow dynamic scheme. And you can see uh, uh, that airflow coming off that drone now when it's in flight. Uh, and the prediction of what the, that release would look like. And you can see, just imagine if we're releasing droplets into this, uh, uh, where those droplets might go. And it's, it's, it's all over the board, which leads to those high CV values and uh, very imprecise applications that we're talking about. So as we start to think about the future uh, uh, with our program, uh, we're gonna be doing a lot of work looking at uh, field efficacy, uh, comparing different nozzles and product combinations. Uh, continue to do work on deposition and swap with, uh, as you can see, uh, we're nowhere close to what a ground or aerial application would be. So uh, the question becomes, what can we do to start to make it look more like that? Uh, uh, definitely need to work on uh, getting standard uh, application parameters, uh, including uh, heights and application speeds. And then uh, the other thing that we didn't even touch on today uh, is understanding pesticide drift and where the, these uh, uh, products are, are going to drift to. So with that, uh, I'm going to wrap up and we'll open things up for questions. Thank you.